these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered, No. He said them, said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Jesus, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. For they were not far from land, only about a hundred yards. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know that I, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. discipleship, not as an individual disciple, but a call for the church to be the disciples of Christ. This morning, we continue in that series, and we get this beautiful text, the third appearance of Christ. But I, and I'd like to start by saying, 
Peter has been called and has an interesting, the way I see it, he probably put a sign above the upper room that said, Gone Fishing. You see no signs? This is at least what I think. At this point, he decided he knew something about fishing, and he wasn't so sure about this Christ following bit at this point. So he and his disciple buddies are seen at the beginning of this text as fishing. I love the language that we're recorded, that we see that's recorded. It's very much the language of discipleship. Notice what Peter says, I'm going fishing, and they say, we are going with you. There's seven of the 12 disciples on that boat. I'd like to say here that a vocation at this point is very seductive. To gather fish at the sea seems mindless and escape something that they knew. But of course, what happens? What happens? They don't catch any fish. Not good for a person who's fished their whole life. Coincidence? I think not. Jesus had called them to a different vocation. So it's no wonder they didn't catch any fish. They were trying to catch the wrong kind. Boy, does that speak to our lives, right? How many times did we put our nets out hoping to get a good job, to grab that good relationship, good time, and we were left empty? And it wasn't till later that we realized we were in the wrong sea to begin with. I love this story because it shows the abundance and grace of God's gifts. Jesus calls them to cast their nets on the other side. And of course, as it says, they bring in this large haul. I love what Herb said at Free For All in our gathering. He said, well, they didn't recognize that this was Jesus. And yet this man says to try their nets on the other side and they just listen. Very interesting. Of course, my question is, didn't they already try the other side? <laughs> but again, Jesus has a surprise in store. Jesus continues to give them good gifts. Like having breakfast waiting for them after an all-night fishing trip. I love this. Only Jesus waits till their belly is full to bring on the post-breakfast deep conversation. How many of you have ever been in one of those situations where the there's a transition moment, and usually it's at dinner. People don't usually bring things up like this at breakfast. And there's sort of an awkward pause, and you know that conversation is shifting. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> the kids raise their hand. <laughs> I always think Jesus has excellent timing. He turns to Simon Peter and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Jesus had already called himself the good shepherd. And if you remember in John's Gospel, chapter 10, he said, the good shepherd knows the name of a sheep. It's no coincidence that Jesus calls him by his full name. Simon, son of John. Do you love me more than these? And I sort of was fascinated this week by that phrase, more than these. More than what? More than the disciples? More than fishing? 
Christ calls him three times, do you love me? And as we heard the kids explain and Jerry talk, he asked them to feed my sheep. Of course, unlike John, he doesn't usually include details. We have that Peter, on the third time Jesus asked him, he says he felt hurt. He was taken aback. Lord, you know that I love you. I'm sure Jesus was saying or thinking, well, act like it now. Feed my sheep. Of course, we all know that this comes from when Peter said that he would lay down his life for Christ. You remember that scene? Jesus said he had to leave in a little while. Of course, they're very literal in their understanding. And Peter says, well, where are you going? And Jesus says, well, where I'm going, you can't follow me right now. And Peter, not taking no for an answer, or never taking no for an answer, says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. At which point, Jesus says, No, you won't. And before the rooster crows three times, you will have denied me. I mean, you will have denied me three times before the cock crows. (laughs) Jesus knows now that he's ready to lay down his life. So my question is, for Peter, for us, what happened between his crucifixion and the moments before when Peter is denying him and this post-resurrection appearance? (laughs) where he three times says and is reinstated as the one that loves and will follow Christ. This week, I don't know if you saw this, but President Obama awarded the Medal of Honor. Anybody watch this? It was quite something. He awarded the Medal of Honor to Father Capon, who was an army chaplain and during the Korean War. What I found fascinating, of course, there was the, the valor that he talked about. Who He gathered soldiers when they were um, under fire. He went and picked them up. He offered them his clothes. But this particular part really fascinated me. It says the guards, and this is a direct, direct quote from President Obama as he's relating the story. The guards ridiculed his devotion to his Savior and the Almighty. They took his clothes and made him stand in the freezing cold for hours, yet he never lost his faith. If anything, it only grew stronger. At night, he slipped into huts to lead prisoners in prayer, saying the rosary, administering the sacraments, offering three simple words, God bless you. One of them later said that his very presence would transform a mud hut into a cathedral. Clearly, Father Capon had the love for his fellow man and for his father. In fact, later he says he would take this hidden prayer book and read prayers, and he found the ruins of an old church camp and set up the sacraments. And he even took a small crucifix that he made from sticks and offered him the peace and the blessing of life. And then my favorite part, they began to sing. He says, all those prisoners, men of different faith, perhaps some men of no faith, 
began to sing the Lord's Prayer. They sang so loud that other prisoners across the camp not only heard them, they joined in. And of course, it is this song, the music that fills the valley, that kept them alive. Finally, Father Caponis, he tells, thin, frail, blood clot and leg, came, came down with dysentery and pneumonia, and finally the guards found their chance to get rid of them. Over the protests and tears of the men who loved him, he said, the guards sent him to a death house. And yet, even as he was gone, even as they carried him to his death, he says, I'm going to where I've always wanted to go. And when I get up there, I'll say a prayer for all of you. I find this life and testimony of love gripping. And in part, not anyone can, as we hear in the news all the time, have a devotion, acts of kindness. But what was it that gripped him so much he was willing to give his life, to lay down his life for his friends? I would argue, and this as last week I said, if we are known as a church that breathes, I pray that we as a church would be known as one that loves God more than all else, and that out of that love fuels our love for our brothers and sisters. But the question comes very practically, how do we love, not in general, but in particular ways? What changes a man or a woman from denying to dying? I believe it is a deep-centered core relationship with a God that would even make a man make the Eucharist table out of an old Father Capon did. I love, I love this other story about discipleship that I've recently stumbled on this week. It's, it's to me, very keen and, and insightful as to where we as a church can go. Listen to this. He says, one day I was helping my wife in the nursery at church. See, all kinds of things can be learned from doing nursery. <laughs> I observed a fascinating interaction between two toddlers, Jared and Dylan. Dylan was a gregarious fun starter, moving with purpose around the room, stirring up smiles wherever he went. And Jared was a shy, sad little guy who sat off in the corner by himself, looking scared and detached from what was going on around him. Dylan, having connected with every other toddler in the room, suddenly noticed that Jared was being left out of the festivities. He toddled over to Jared and looked him square in the eye. Then he grabbed a nearby <coughs> ball and placed it in Jared's hands. He guided Jared in a throwing motion and then sat back and let the ball roll toward him. Then he rolled the, back, the ball back toward Jared. Dylan repeated this several times until a little <coughs> smile began to form on Jared's face. Soon a full-fledged game of catch had ensued, and Dylan had taught Jared how to play catch. The writer of Haster felt the spirit whisper to him, that is discipleship. 
And it dawned on him, too often we've either dumbed down discipleship to a sort of fill-in-the-blank sort of teaching session, or we've made it this complicated, unattainable, legalistic process that no one can master. But it's really quite simple. Jesus modeled it. Like Dylan for Jared, he spent time with his disciples. He took them by the hand and showed them how to live in God's kingdom. See, this is what I think is interesting about discipleship. Or take Dylan, for example. You know, he didn't go back and forth, sort of like we would, I I assume, sort of sophisticated and rational and analytical, you know, saying, do I help Jared or do I not help Jared? Does he deserve to be helped? Maybe he's done this to himself. Do I have better things to do? I'd like to help Jared, but I have a lot on my to-do list. You know, this is not the internal dialogue, I'm guessing, of Dylan. But no, rather out of this sense of wanting to include, this sense of love, this gregarious spirit, he wanted Jared to belong. This is love. This is discipleship. I argue that most of us, as I said last week, and you'll notice it's very intentional that we started with breathing, that if we're going to get this discipleship thing down, it begins with breath, receiving the breath, the Spirit of God that gives us peace be with you. And then notice we don't move this week to the going, descending, the commissioning yet. We hear the question, do you love me? And when Peter was asked, not this question, but laying down his life, he denied it. And it wasn't until, I believe, the love seeped down so deep, he was willing to go overboard, leave his boat, and jump into the, to the sea and follow this man, that something changed. See, I do think that we sort of get the order wrong. We sort of preach hard and heavy and lay burdens to to go and to do, to give, and yet we fail miserably to teach why we do it. Why? Why are we called to love, to give of our lives, to lay down our lives? Well, think about it. Have you ever seen an artist go into an, an art store there's one in Asheville. I'm sure there's one here. I don't know. but um, to, to, to hold the paints in their hands. Or a writer, when they come upon a new word. Or a scientist, discovering a new element. This is the passion that feels... You don't have to ask an artist to hold the paints. Or a writer to look up a new word. This is a discipline that comes from love. It fuels their vocation. But we get it the other way around. We hope that if we do long enough that we'll somehow grow to love it, right? And that may work for some. I think it does. But I think most of us don't function that way. Jesus wants us to go after him and sheep with that same love first. And I have to say that we all need 
to write this over our bedpost. That my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The call and guide for discipleship is easy and the burden light. But we load up the donkey, we ride with every yoke imaginable. And then we wonder why the donkey won't budge. Friends, in this, in this very time as we are working together as a congregation to put hands and feet to what it means to be Christ, not as an individual, because we talked about that at Free For All, as individuals we will fail to be disciples. We have to do it in community. This is the call to Peter to be commissioned, not for himself, but to be the rock to establish the church. This is really a recommissioning. Finally, I think it's a very interesting note. Just when we think, oh my gosh, I, we talked in our Sunday school about what a martyr was. Who get, one who gives up their life for the faith. And yet, the part of the scripture that we didn't read, so you should always ask, why didn't they finish that? four verses. Why did they read that part? There's this interesting dialogue between the one that Jesus loved. So that begs the question. I guess he didn't love the other ones. But the, the one that Jesus loved and Peter. This whole book of John is Peter and John. Peter and John sort of, remember the resurrection. Peter's running and John sees the lens a certain way he believes. And, and interestingly enough, and I hope you'll be encouraged that though you may not be like Peter, which Jesus says you will be bound and tells him in the way in which he will die, but John's call, John wasn't called to die, per se. He was asked to tell the story. And I think that is encouraging and good news for us that many of us will not be asked to lay down our life, but we are called to tell the story. We, Providence Baptist Church, in order to grow, not numerically, but spiritually, we must love God more than these. And so, as we conclude, I hope that Jesus, you will see those eyes and see him calling you by name, redeeming all of the denials, all the betrayals that we have surely done. As we said at Free For All, the God of a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. How many chances do you need out there? That's not rhetorical. A thousand, a million chances. This God, Jesus Christ, comes to us and says, do you love me more than these? And gives us enough chances to respond with the commitment to feed my sheep, to love one another, even as I have loved.